storytelling is as old as time itself. Stories run through the lifeblood of humankind. But stories are forgotten as they're passed from generation to generation. My goal with this podcast is to prevent that from happening. To stop these stories from getting lost in the sands of time. I'm David Swiduck, and you're listening to Faded Words. Autumn After Next by Margaret St. Clair Being a wizard missionary to the Friel needed more than magic. It called for a miracle. The spell the Friel were casting ought to have drawn the moon down from the heavens, made water run uphill, and inverted the order of seasons. But since they had gotten brewer's blood instead of newts, were using algonon instead of vervet juice, and were three days later than the solstice anyhow, well, nothing happened. Nishan watched their antics with a bitter smile. He'd tried hard with them. The free L were really a challenge to evangelical wizardry. They had some natural talent for magic, as was evinced by the frequent attempts they made to perform it, and they were interested in what he told them about its capacities, but they simply wouldn't take the trouble to do it right. How long had they been stamping around in their circle anyhow? Since early moonset, and it was now almost dawn. No doubt they would go on stamping all next day if not interrupted. It was time to call a halt. Nishan strode into the middle of the circle. Rin, the village chief, looked up from his drumming. Go away, he said. You'll spoil the charm. What charm? Can't you see by now, Rin, that this isn't going to work? Of course it will. It just takes time. Hell it will. Hell it does. Watch. Nishan pushed Rin to one side and squatted down in the center of the circle. From the pockets of his black robe, he produced stylus, dragon's blood, oil of anointing, and salt. He drew a design on the ground with the stylus, dropped dragon's blood at the corners of the parallelogram, and touched the inner cusps with the oil. Then, sighting carefully at the double red and white sun which was just coming up, He touched the outer cusps with salt, and intense smoke sprang up. When the smoke died away, a small lizard-like creature was visible in the parallelogram. Tell the demon what you want, Nishan ordered the Friel. The Friel hesitated. They had few wants after all, which was one of the things that made teaching them magic difficult. Two big dilla melons, 
one of the younger ones said at last. A new Andana necklace, said another. A tutor like the one you have, said Rin, who was ambitious. Straw for a new roof on my hut, said one of the older females. That's enough for now, Nishan interrupted. The demon can't bring you a tutor, Rin. You have to ask another sort of demon for that. The other things he can get. Samel, to work. The lizard in the parallelogram twitched its tail. It disappeared and returned almost immediately with melons, a handsome necklace, and an enormous heap of straw. Can I go now? it asked. Yes. Nishan turned to the Friel, who were sharing the Dillamelons out around their circle. You see? That's how it ought to be. You cast a spell, you're careful with it, and it works. Right away. When you do it, it works, Rin answered. Magic works when anybody does it, but you have to do it right. Rin raised his mud-plastered shoulders in a shrug. It's such a lot of drees doing it that way. Magic ought to be fun. He walked away, munching on a slice of the melon the demon had brought. Nishan stared after him, his eyes hot. Drees was a Friel word that referred originally to the nasal drip that accompanied that race's virulent head colds. It had been extended to mean almost anything annoying. The Friel, who spent much of their time sitting in the rain, had a lot of colds in the head. Wasn't there anything to be done with these people? Even the simplest spell was too dreesish for them to bother with. He was getting a headache. He'd better perform a headache-removing spell. He retired to the hut the Friel had assigned to him. The spell worked, of course, but it left him feeling soggy and dispirited. He was still standing in the hut, wondering what he should do next, when his big black and gold tutor in the corner gave a faint woof. That meant headquarters wanted to communicate with him. Nishan carefully aligned the tutor, which is basically a sort of lens for focusing a neural force, with the rising double suns. He moved his couch out into a parallel position and lay down on it. In a minute or two, he was deep in a cataleptic trance. The message from headquarters was long, circuitous, and couched in the elaborate, ego-caressing ceremonial of high magic. But its gist was clear enough. Your report received, it boiled down to. We are glad to hear that you are keeping on with the Friel. We do not expect you to succeed with them. None of the other magical missionaries we have sent out ever has. But if you should succeed, by any chance, you would get your senior warlocks rating immediately. It would be no exaggeration, in fact, to say the highest offices in the Brotherhood would be open to you. Nishan came out of his trance. His eyes were round with wonder and cupidity. His senior warlock's rating, why, he wasn't due to get that for nearly four more 605-day years. And the highest offices in the Brotherhood? That could mean anything, anything. He hadn't realized the Brotherhood set such store on converting the Friel. Well, now, a reward like that was worth going to some trouble for. Nishan sat down on his couch, his elbows on his knees, his fist pressed against his forehead, and tried to think. The Friel liked magic, but they were lazy. Anything that involved accuracy impressed them as dreesish, and they didn't want anything. 
That was the biggest difficulty. Magic had nothing to offer them. He had never, Nishan thought, heard one of the Friel express a want. Wait, though. There was Rin. He had shown a definite interest in Nishan's tutor. Something in its intricate, florid black and gold curves seemed to fascinate him. True, he hadn't been interested in it for its legitimate uses, which were to extend and develop a magician's spiritual power. He probably thought that having it would give him more prestige and influence among his people, but for one of the Friel to say, I wish I had that, about anything, whatever, meant that he could be worked on. Could the tutor be used as a bribe? Nishan sighed heavily. Getting a tutor was painful and laborious. A tutor was carefully fitted to an individual magician's personality. In a sense, it was a part of his personality, and if Nishan let Rin have his tutor, he would be letting him have a part of himself, but the stakes were enormous. Nishan got up from his couch. It had begun to rain, but he didn't want to spend time performing a rain-repelling spell. He wanted to find Rin. Rin was standing at the edge of the swamp, luxuriating in the downpour. The mud had washed from his shoulders, and he was already sniffling. Nishan came to the point directly. I'll give you my tutor, he said, almost choking over the words. If you'll do a spell, a simple spell, mind you, exactly right. Rin hesitated. Nishan felt an impulse to kick him. Then he said, Well... Nishan began his instructions. It wouldn't do for him to help Rin too directly, but he was willing to do everything reasonable. Rin listened, scratching himself in the armpits and sneezing from time to time. After Nishan had been through the directions twice, Rin stopped him. No, don't bother telling me again. It's just more drees. Give me the materials and I'll show you. Don't forget, you're giving me the tutor for this. He started off, Nishan after him, to the latter's hut. While Nishan looked on tensely, Rin began going through the actions Nishan had told him. Halfway through the first decad, he forgot. He inverted the order of the hand passes, sprinkled salt on the wrong point, and mispronounced the names in the invocation. When he pulled his hands apart at the end, only a tiny yellow flame sprang up. Nishan cursed bitterly. Rin, however, was delighted. Look at that, will you? He exclaimed, clapping his chapped, scabby little hands together. It worked. I'll take the tutor home with me now. The tutor for that? You didn't do the spell right. Rin stared at him indignantly. You mean you're not going to give me the tutor after all the trouble I went to? I only did it as a favor, really. Nishan, I think it's very mean of you. Try the spell again. Oh, Drees, you're too impatient. You never give anything time to work. He got up and walked off. For the next few days, everybody in the village avoided Nishan. They all felt sorry for Rin, who'd worked so hard, done everything he was told to, and been cheated out of his tutor by Nishan. In the end, the magician, cursing his own weakness, surrendered the tutor to Rin. The accusatory atmosphere in the normally indifferent Friel was intolerable. But now, what was he to do? He'd given up his tutor, he had to ask Rin to lend it to him when he wanted to contact headquarters, and the senior rating was no nearer than before. His head ached constantly, and all the spells he performed to cure the pain left him feeling wretchedly tired out. 
Magic, however, is an art of many resources, not all of them savory. Nishan, in his desperation, began to invoke demons more disreputable than those he would ordinarily have consulted. In effect, he turned for help to the magical underworld. His thuggish informants were none too consistent. One demon told him one thing, another something else. The consensus, though, was that while there was nothing the Friel actually wanted enough to go to any trouble for it, they didn't even want to get rid of their nasal drip, for example. In a perverse way, they were proud of it. There was one thing they disliked intensely. Nishan himself. The Friel thought, the demons reported, that he was inconsiderate, tactless, officious, and a crashing bore. They regarded him as the psychological equivalent of the worst case of Drees ever known, carried to the nth power. They wished he'd drop dead or hang himself. Nishan dismissed the last of the demons. His eyes had begun to shine. The Friel thought he was a nuisance, did they? They thought he was the most annoying thing they'd encountered in their course of their racial history? Good, fine, splendid, then he'd really annoy them. He'd have to watch out for poison, of course, but in the end, they'd turn to magic to get rid of him. They'd have to, and then he'd have them. They'd be caught. One act of communal magic that really worked, and they'd be sold on magic. He'd be sure of his senior rating. Nishan began his campaign immediately. Where the Friel were, there was he. He was always on hand with unwanted explanations, hypercritical objections, and maddening, wouldn't it be betters? Whereas, earlier in his evangelical mission, he had confined himself to pointing out how much easier magic would make life for the Friel, he now counseled and advised them on every phase of their daily routine, from mud smearing to rain sitting, and from the time they got up until they went to bed. He even pursued them with advice after they got into bed and told them how to run their sex lives, advice which the Friel, who set quite as much store by their sex lives as anybody does, resented passionately. But most of all, he harped on their folly in putting up with the nasal drip and instructed them over and over again in the details of a charm, a quite simple charm for getting rid of it. The charm would, he informed them, work equally well against anything or person that they found annoying. The food the Friel brought him began to have a slightly peculiar taste. Nishan grinned and hung a theriacal charm, a first-class antidote to poison, around his neck. The Friel's distaste for him bothered him, naturally, but he could stand it. When he had repeated the anti-annoyance charm to a group of Friel last night, he had noticed that Rin was listening eagerly. It wouldn't be much longer now. On the morning of the day before the equinox, Nishan was awakened from sleep by an odd prickling sensation in his ears. It was a sensation he'd experienced only once before in his life. During his novitiate, it took him a moment to identify it. Then he realized what it was. Somebody was casting a spell against him. At last, at last, it had worked. Nishan put on his robe and hurried to the door of the hut. The day seemed remarkably overcast, almost like night, but that was caused by the spell. This one happened to involve the optic nerves. He began to grope his way cautiously toward the village center. He didn't want the Friel to see him and get suspicious, but he did want to have the pleasure of seeing them cast their first accurate spell. 
He was well protected against wind damage from it, of course. When he was almost at the center, he took cover behind a hut. He peered out. They were doing it right. Oh, what a satisfaction. Nishan felt his chest expand with pride, and when the spell worked, when the big wind swooped down and blew him away, the Friel would certainly receive a second magical missionary more kindly. Nishan might even come back well disguised himself. The ritual went on. The dancers made three circles to the left, three circles to the right, cross over, and all sprinkle salt on the intersections of the star Rin had traced on the ground with a point of a knife. Back to the circle, one to the left, one to the right, while Rin, in the center of the circle, dusted over the salt with... with what? Hey! Nishan yelled in sudden alarm. Not Brimstone! Watch out! You're not doing it right! His chest contracted suddenly as if a large, stony hand had seized his thorax above the waist. He couldn't breathe, he couldn't think, he couldn't even say, Ouch! It felt as if his chest, no, his whole body was being compressed in on itself and turning into something as hard as stone. He tried to wave his tiny, heavy arms in a counter charm. He couldn't even inhale. The last emotion he experienced was one of bitterness. He might have known the Friel couldn't get anything right. The Friel take a dim view of the small stone image that now stands in the center of their village. It is much too heavy for them to move, and while it is not nearly so much of a nuisance as Nishan was when he was alive, it inconveniences them. They have to make a detour around it when they do their magic dances. They still hope, though, that the spells they are casting to get rid of him will work eventually. If he doesn't go away this autumn, he will the autumn after next. They have a good deal of faith in magic when you come right down to it, and patience is their long suit. That was The Autumn After Next by Margaret St. Clair. This is a story that was produced initially, uh, published, I should say, in the Worlds of If science fiction magazine, January 1960. If you want to keep up with everything going on here at Faded Words, check out fadedwordspod.com or find me on social media at Faded Words across all the different platforms. If you like these stories and you want to help support Faded Words podcast, the best thing you can do is please go leave a rating or review in the podcast player or app of your choice. If you're using Apple Podcasts, that means hit those stars and leave a review. Leave me a note. I'd love to see what you have to say. Of course, word of mouth is the biggest way we can spread the word about Faded Words Podcast. So if you're liking the stories you're hearing, please do me a favor and share it with your friends. Let people know about it. And if you have someone you think loves storytelling, I'd be honored if you'd share it with them. I hope you enjoyed this story, The Autumn After Next by Margaret St. Clair. It's an old one from January 1960, Worlds of If Science Fiction. Kind of wish they had magazines like this more commonly nowadays. Anyways, if you like this story and want to hear more just like it, stay tuned next week. We'll have an all-new story for you. Try and touch a bunch of different genres. I'm David Swiduck. 
And this has been Faded Words. Faded Words.